I'm in Canada. You'll notice that as soon as I say one word. Where? 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 Place called Kingston. Okay. Kingston, Canada. Uh, uh, very quickly, Montreal, Toronto, Kingston, no, right in the middle. Oh, you know? I lived in Montreal, yeah. Oh, me too. That's where I grew up, actually. I lived in Sherbrooke when I was a little boy. Oh, partout français ou? No, je parle un peu de français. But your accent is good about And you also were born in Israel, right? That's right. Yeah. We immigrated to to Montreal. Well, muzzle tough for that, buddy. Muzzle. Thank you. I studied Torah with Rabbi New. Okay, we better get going. Here we go. Welcome to the Brent Holland Show. On March 30th, 1981, at 2.27 p.m., only 69 days into his presidency, six shots were fired from a 22 caliber pistol at the Hilton Hotel in Washington, D.C. On one side of the gun was a nameless and deranged young man misguided by an obsession with an American actress. His intended victim, the U.S. President, Though right. he failed in his assassination attempt, he succeeded in changing not only a presidency, but a man and a marriage. Our guest today, Rod Lurie, director of National Geographic Channel's Killing Reagan, a world television movie event based on the best-selling book by Bill O'Reilly and Martin Dugard and produced by Scott Free Productions. Understand that at least three persons have been hit. The president was hit. By John Warnick Hinckley. They have been underestimating us all our lives. I want to show them I can do this. Not without you, not without your faith. Mr. President, this is the worst possible thing you could do right now. Last time I checked, I am in control here. Jody, I would abandon this idea of getting Reagan in a second if I could only win your heart and live out the rest of my life with you. At least you know that I'll always love you. Send him where you want to whoever you want. Don't tell him that he's failing. I can assassinate the president. Lynn Nofziger has told reporters at the hospital that the president was not wounded. He was. He was wounded. My God. It is your job to protect him. I walked into this hospital. And I want to walk out. All set? I am now. Rod Lurie wrote and directed the widely praised Academy Award and Golden Globe Award-dominated political thriller The Contender, starring Joan Allen, Jeff Bridges, Gary Oldman, and Christian Slater. He is a multi-award-winning director. My great pleasure to welcome you to the show, Rod. Thanks for joining us this morning. 7 a.m. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, good thing we're morning people, I guess. Yeah, that must be it. Yeah, in the entertainment business. Yeah. Okay, let's jump in right away, shall we? Now, ultimately, Rod, do you sure. feel this story, uh, it's a story about human survival, perhaps overcoming the unimaginable, then deliverance, perhaps epiphany, or when everything else is stripped away, is it basically just a love story? 
Well, it, it's everything that you that you just said, actually, Brent, and uh, it's okay. one of the things that was so galvanizing and magnetic about this uh, for me. Now, on the one hand, it's a TikTok about a very important historical event, really important historical event. That was a, gen, a genuine, bona fide uh, love story, and uh, probably one of the most sincere love stories in um, in all of White House history, to be honest with you. Okay, whenever we reference the White House and a love story, right away, my mind jumps to JFK and Jackie. Right, well, yeah. How does this differ? Think, Is this more profound? Well, it, it, he wasn't betraying her, for, for one thing. You know, he was he was really devoted to her, and he counted on her for advice on absolutely everything. I I don't quite think that was the case in, uh, with uh, JFK and, and, Jacqueline, uh, and Jacqueline Kennedy. And I think that... Um, you know, America was sort of in love with Jackie. The America was not in love with Nancy. I mean, she was, you know, not treated well by the press. People looked at her as um, as some sort of uh, ice queen. And um, but through it all, you know, Ronald Reagan, he sincerely loved her. I mean, that was it's so true. And you know, after the assassination attempt, uh, Reagan uh, thought that he had gotten stronger because he had survived this thing. And he became much more uh, dominant in the White House, much more his own man. And she lost her mind, basically. She got uh, ter She was absolutely terrified from there on in. She became weaker. She even hired an astrologer to sort of guide them uh, on decisions that they needed to make, things like that. And so we sort of see that in, in, in the film. That's a, an interesting dynamic that you just described because I, I didn't realize that I would have thought it would have been Ronald suffering from PTSD, not Nancy. And uh, to to learn that... Um, no, he became much more religious. He, he became almost like a, a Jesus freak, you know, to a certain degree, or a God freak, you know, if you want to call it that. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but no, no. He, he became... He, he literally thought that he had been spared for a reason. He told people that, Brent. He told people that. Similar and, to what uh, Bush said, uh, W said, and when he said he felt that he achieved the presidency because something bad was going to happen, and that he was there well, for a reason. Well, you know, I, I, guess, I guess it's I, I guess that they had the same level of religiosity then. I mean, to me, that's a dangerous thing, obviously, for obvious reasons. But um, the, you know, we have the scene, you know, after the assassination attempt, where you see this religious conversion on on Reagan's on Reagan's part. And you know it's it's interesting. I'm not a fan of Ronald Reagan as um, as a president at all, not even remotely, not even kind of a little bit. But I'm a fan of him as a man now. Having you know, I'm a well-known liberal, and uh, well, we're all well-known liberals in Hollywood, or most of us are anyway. And um, uh, when this first first offered to me, it was almost shocking that it would be offered to me. That you know. That I would make a first of all something about Bill O'Reilly and um, something about Ronald Reagan, uh, but now uh, having done this movie, you know I've, I've got a tremendous amount of respect for him, not as a political leader, but as a man, as a human being. The characters have to excite me, and then I say, okay, now I'm going to put this on a page. One of the most exciting things will be the action. It's a brilliant narrative device. You're constantly going back and forth between the would-be assassin and the victim. What we strove to do, what any filmmaker should strive to do when they're doing a period piece, is to be absolutely real. Action! Tim has put in an extraordinary amount of effort into playing this character, into getting every body movement right, into getting the cadence of his voice absolutely 
and authentically on target. He was very optimistic and positive, and Nancy kept him in that world and allowed that to be real for him. Then he could be the best president he could be. Here we go. Cynthia Nixon, she immersed herself in Nancy Reagan like I've never seen in anything that I've worked on before. It was really important to me to understand her psychology and her history. She feels the temperature in the room. She can feel who's on her side and who's on her husband's side. In Killing Reagan, what we wanted to do was show the effect of the assassination attempt. You're 70 years old, you get a bullet close to your heart, almost dead. Here was a guy who's back doing his job within months. Ronald Reagan never would have overcome his wound if Nancy Reagan had not been there every step of the way. The strength of the bond was undeniable. Jody, hi. John Hinckley. John was the music lover an animal lover who started getting sick and doesn't get the right help in time. Did you get my letters? Kyle was studying Hinckley as much as he possibly could. He became the real thing. Too often we view the assassins in our history as merely as monsters, and many of them are, but they're human monsters, meaning that they're damaged. I don't know why people want to live. When you see the desperation on John's face, it's a very human moment. <laughs> I think what's unique and striking about killing Reagan is the dual track between the assassin and the victim. Brad wanted to keep me and Tam apart. We weren't actually supposed to speak to him while he was shooting. He wanted him to feel isolated, wanted him to feel alone. When you separate actors that are adversaries in film, there's a strategy behind that. It keeps them in character when they're not shooting. And so it's a way to sort of keep him in the spirit of the film. John Lennon is dead. The world is over. Reagan's story had so many elements to it. Here you have this, this really disturbed, stalking assassin. And then you have this really powerful guy. We give you the buildup to the collision and how the country is going to survive this. Who is running the government? You know what's coming. But the TikTok is still there. And whammo, you're going to be on the edge of your seat. He's shooting two different movies, a psychological thriller and then a political drama at the same time. And then at the very end, they're going to collide. Killing Reagan, a movie event, premieres Sunday, October 16th at 8 on the National Geographic Channel. Okay, let's go into that. How did that affect his policies after that? After the assassination, was was he really coming down hard on the Second Amendment at that point? Well, to make sincere change, or was that just window dressing? Well, no, he he absolutely did not come down hard on uh, on the Second Amendment, and it took uh, many years of lobbying by James Brady, who was the press secretary, who was shot and. Uh, in the, in the head and, you know, ended up in a wheelchair, and, and he became an advocate uh, for gun control. Um, you know, Reagan, the way that this really affected Reagan more than anything else, as I said before, is that he became so certain of himself that he stopped listening so, uh, so much to his advisors and began instead to um, uh, make decisions almost unilaterally. Like, for example, he reached out personally to Leonard Brezhnev, the president of the Soviet Union, to deal with uh, nu nuclear weapons. And whereas before he would have to go through the State Department and get Al Hayes' approval and so on, and instead he just went forward himself. 
he became a much more unilateral leader as a result of this um, of the assassination attempt. Were any of his social policies changed? Did he become more humanistic? You know, do you feel? No, I I I don't think I I don't really see that. And uh, the you know, and like I said, I'm not a fan of his uh, as a political leader. Gotcha. You know, uh, for for example, um, he more or less ignored AIDS. For the vast amount of his presidency, never even mentioned the word, even though it became it become some sort of national uh, national epidemic. And um, by the way, I see you drink from a Stanford cup. Are you a Stanford graduate? I am not, but I am proud to say right here on air that my nephew is from Montreal. Yes. He studied at McGill. He's on a full scholarship. He's a he's a oh, rocket okay. scientist. And oh, he's literally, yeah. literally, he certainly doesn't get that from me. Let me tell you. Although we My used brother, to play Spaceman as a kid, uh, just to interject, he he's been on CNN and stuff. He's done all these. Oh, that's great fantastic! Amazing. Yeah, I'm so proud. My of brother him. and sister went to Stanford, so I was I was taken I was taken by that. So he sent it to me. He said, "Here, you can use this on air." I said, "Okay, maybe people will really think I'm smart then." Yeah, very good. <laughs> Little do they know. You look like a smart guy, Brett. <laughs> You're very kind. Okay, let's go back to uh, to Ronald Reagan and Nancy. Now that dynamic, did that trickle down to their kids as well? Did they notice a big change? In no, it, it, you know the one of the one of the interesting dynamics of their relationship is that. The, the children, at least through history and through most people's opinion, I don't know what the kids would say, well, I know some of them would say that they basically ignored them as that as they were raising them, mm. that they were not good parents, but they were fantastic to uh, they were fantastic to to one another, and um, that uh, you know it's like I I got remarried uh, two years ago, and muzzle tough again. Thank you. I I would love it if the love that I have for my wife and that I hope she has for me will manifest itself in the manner of uh, Ronald and Nancy Reagan. I mean, they, they completed one another's sentences. They respected one another. You know, it, it, they, they loved one another. They loved spending time together. You know, I'm right here. I'm right now I'm on location in New Mexico for my new TV series. I'm going to be away from my wife for a couple of months and it's driving me crazy already. I just yeah. got here. Well, this, this brings up a good point. You know, a, a large demographic uh, of my listeners are students, believe it or not. And okay. um, the whole point of doing my show, it's a volunteer show for me, um, but it, I, I base it around like a Charlie Rose show. So <laughs> the whole thing is to inspire students. I've had Jane Goodall on the show, Ted Sorensen, JFK speechwriter, as you know, uh, all telling how they problem solve. But I would like you uh, to tell folks. Thank you. I'd like you to tell the folks that are listening now, the younger students that want to be a filmmaker or do something in the arts, mm -hmm. how do you take the narrative from a book? You've got a great script writer. He's an Academy Award winner, and I'm just scrolling down right. for his name. Eric Simons. Thank you very Eric much. Eric Simons. How do you put people in that time? Because I'm remembering the Reagan era and, uh, you know, the three assassinations, uh, JFK, Dr. King, Bobby, even Malcolm, were still echoing at that time. And it was a culture where I felt that, especially looking at it from a lens from Canada, perspective from Canada, that at mm. any moment the drop of a hat could happen and there'll be a, another mm. successful assassination on a sitting president. Yeah, or and really any... Right. Anything can happen at any 
moment, not even assassination, it could be planes hitting the World Trade Center, and the world changes on a dime, on a, you know, at a split second. And, um, you know, the, the world changed enough uh, by the assassination attempt. Imagine if he had actually died. You know, where would this country be? What would we be? We would be a completely different country. You know, all the dominoes would, would have fallen completely differently than than they have than they have uh, uh, since then. But you know, you you make a, an excellent point, and I want and I would like to point out that the film is incredibly accurate. You know, you know, you know that expression. It's based on a true story. Yes. Well, that's not that what this is. This is a true story. It's a it's a true story. And um, the, the at National Geographic, the people who produced this mm-hmm. uh, or actually Scott Free, Ridley Scott's company, right. they produced it, but the um, National Geographic aired it. They, got, they have more researchers than Hillary Clinton has people knocking on doors in Ohio. I mean, there is a, it, is a, it is incredibly um, um, vetted, this show. And, um, you know, we had the benefit of a lot of research. That's a very good point, because that was one of my questions. So you're probably part clairvoyant somewhere along the line. You know, um, I was going to ask you how much you can deviate from the actual narrative, the historical narrative, as opposed to dramatization. And I'll give you a good example. There's a very uh, fun movie out there called uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer. Obviously, I don't think Lincoln was a vampire slayer. But, you know, I'm going to reference Ted Sorensen. Ted told me that uh, the movie 13 Days was mm-hmm. very accurate. Right. Right. And, um, and I, think it prob- I think it probably was. Uh, and we're even more accurate than that. But, like, in the Situation Room, while Reagan was being operated on, you know, most of the cabinet members had gathered, and one of them, Richard Allen, had put a tape recorder in the middle of the table. And so we have an exact dialogue from the Situation Room. You know, we're you know we're we're pretty damn we're pretty damn accurate. You know, what Ted Sorensen would say about Oliver Stone's JFK, that's probably not as accurate. He exactly right. He said that was uh, absolutely not accurate, but 13 Days was, which was the story, folks, about the Cuban Missile Crisis. You can find it in the archives. By the way, for the students, the Sor- the Sorensen diaries are fantastic. Oh, I, yeah, I got no, his last uh, interview. I was down in Manhattan. I've got his last interview on video, and I'm making a doc on it. So, who plays Alexander Haig? Is he involved in the in the scenario at all? Uh, Patrick Santisprit uh, plays uh, Alexander Haig, and he's very much a part of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if Patrick doesn't get an Emmy nomination for this uh, portrayal. It's just magnificent. And he also, you know, everybody who played real people, and actually everyone is real. Um, all the actors were playing real people, and so my mission to them was, I want you to come to set and be damn well prepared. And that means go look at footage of them. I want, you know, Tim Matheson, who plays Reagan, it's a spectacular performance, Brent. And in that spectacular performance, you'll see that he, he figured out how Reagan breathed. You know, Reagan had a very specific way of breathing. He would breathe within sentences which is something that Tim Matheson was able to, um, to, uh, to glean and, uh, and he was able to input into, into his performance. It's a magnificent performance. What we strove to do, what any filmmaker should strive to do when they're doing a period piece, is to be authentic and to be absolutely real. Rawhide's okay. Stagecoach, roll in the crowd. Are you hit? Damn it, Jerry. I think you're broken my wrist. 
We took great pains in being historically accurate. We had two different teams at National Geographic who were at my disposal, making sure that I got everything right. You know, there's a certain amount of artistic license that writers take. We came up with a story that is engaging and at the same time is flawless in terms of its research. Get his clothes off, please. So a couple of months after the assassination attempt, all the doctors and all the nurses that were involved in saving Ronald Reagan's life, they put together their own little mini documentary. They reenacted everything exactly as it happened. And so this became extraordinarily valuable to us. Mr. President, today we're all Republicans. I think the thing that we've been blessed with on all of our killing productions is foremost writers who are incredibly facile with the material and deeply familiar with it. And so that they can, again, take something that we already have some basic walking knowledge of and transcend that. We're exposed to those things we recognize, and yet we get a different perspective on them. I don't think we even realized when we cast Tim and Cynthia how truly lucky we were to have two people who were equally committed, deeply researched these roles, and who have such an alluring and sort of complex uh, relationships that we're able to build on screen together. Eric Simonson, both his theatrical background as a writer and as a director, I think was able to bring to this sort of a, a dynamic that gave us an immediacy in terms of our experience of this period in history. And then with Rod Lurie, who is a director at the top of his forum, but one who thrives in this political forum. And between the two of them, there was such a deep foundation of understanding and determination to tell the story as authentically, as fully, and as dramatically as possible. And that, to me, is also what defines doing a piece like this for National Geographic. I want to touch on just a couple of more things, because I know you got to run. Uh, Kylie yep. Moore, Kyle Moore, uh, portraying yep. John Hinckley Jr. Now, yes. mental illness, we don't look at it the same way as we did back then. How do you deal right. with that? Well, clear he's mentally ill, that he, you know, he doesn't have a political bone in his, in, in his body. And we see the sort of, not just his descent into mental illness, but basically how many warning signs were, were, were ignored. And we see the, you know, the, the, his dad and his mom felt incredibly guilty, A, that, um, they, that their son tried to kill a president and yeah. shot more people, but that that they did they took a tough love approach with him, which was the last thing that you should do with somebody who was mentally ill. He needed help. He needed help big time. He needed to be in he needed to be institutionalized. Ultimately just, is he a victim in this? You know, I don't want to use that word. I think it's a bit of a, a bit of a cliche to call the assassin a, a victim. Okay. But I, I would say that he's a I, I would say that um, he's a fall guy for the system to a, to a certain degree, for a system that ignored him. And, you know, Ronald Reagan, as soon as he gets in, starts cutting aids for, uh, for mental health. And which is, so it's slightly, uh, it's slightly ironic, actually. It truly is. Okay. What do you want people to walk away from this movie with? What do you You're going to learn, you know, people who are old enough to remember that, you know, will be able to sort of... Um, 
relive it and say, yeah, that's exactly how it went down. But they will also learn a bunch of things. You know, we opened the, the film with an assassination attempt or the, the hints of assassination attempt on Jimmy Carter by John Hinckley. A lot of people don't know that Hinckley tried to kill Carter as well. It's just one example of the many things that, um, you know, that this film will uh, will will sort of show you. But I think the, I think if nothing else, you're going to be very entertained for two hours. It, it's a very, very involving movie. It's impeccably acted. Uh, it's a great love story, and it's, a, um, and it's a piece of history. And we got it right. We have it exactly right. Great. And uh, very proud of it, Brent. Okay, final question. I would ask this to everybody that comes on the show. You're literally so, talking to every Canadian student in universities. Uh, yeah. Campus Radio, Queens, Hi, everybody. everybody. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> what would you say to them? Well, to say to, to every student or every film student? Both. If you're a film student, don't go to film school. It's the worst thing you can do, in my opinion. You're going to learn somebody else's creativity. What I would do is go and study what you want to make movies about. You know, that's what I did. You know, I went to West Point. I went to the military academy at West Point. Uh, I always wanted to be a filmmaker, but I I wanted to make movies about history, and I wanted to make movies about leadership and about um, you know and about principles. And there's no better school in the world to to learn that. And so I followed my own edict, even as a as a young man, and it is and it has uh, worked out for me. And um, to to every other student out there. You know, I would say I would say almost the almost the same thing. You know, do what you want to do. You know, not what your parents want you to do, not what um, uh, you think is expected of you. You know, the the people that I'm 54 now. <laughs> I somehow I became 54 years old. I don't know yeah, how, how that, that happened. You don't look it, by the way, my but, friend. But thank you very much. But I'm going to tell you something. The people that are the happiest are the people that are doing what they wanted to do as teenagers and you know this is what I've always wanted to do so make yourself happy I like that I think that's a good way to end it I really do I want to thank Rod Lurie for coming on the show tonight he's director of the uh, National Geographic channels Killing Reagan I'm Brent Holland thank you all for joining us we see you next time